episode 18 alexander the great podcast hope everyone is doing uh, good if you would like to help the podcast the best way to help the podcast is by sending money either through paypal i think it's only through paypal now to be honest so if you could donate through paypal uh, that would be very nice thank you very much you could also write a review on itunes because that's where i would see it and if i read the review out you shall get a gift from me sent all the way from greece i'm michaelis by the way i don't say my name often enough i want you to know my name man my name is michaelis and most people some my friends call me mickey which uh, i don't mind i've been called that since i was a kid since i was a little baby and um hope you like the podcast guys follow me on instagram i've got links in the description and uh, let me know what you think see you bye bye we left Philip just as he was about to go against Charitas's and Proxenos's mercenaries in the passage of Gravias, June of 338. Philip writes a letter to Antipater, Adipatros in Greek, saying, I've had enough. I'm getting the hell out of here. Probably didn't say that exactly. You know, hell wasn't invited yet, but you know what I mean. He says, yes, I have to go. Uh, there's a revolt. Ha- a revolt has begun in Thrace, and I should get there immediately. Proxenos and Charitas find the letter and say he's doing the exact same thing he did last year when he wanted his fleet to escape the Hellespont. He can't possibly tell the same lie twice. Turns out, surprise, he was lying. There was no revolt taking place. They didn't know that, so they chill while protecting the passages. They take it easy, you know, seeing that there's no chance on Philip attacking. A few days go past, and Philip orders for an attack in the night under Parmenion. Parmenion then went on to kill a bunch of mercenaries, and in under three hours took Amphisa. Imagine the size of Philip's balls, right? They were probably keeping him down, you know? It's probably one of the reasons he had a limp, (laughs) possibly. He definitely, you definitely have to be a special kind of human to completely deceive your enemy twice with the exact same lie. So we can see why Charitas has stayed in history as ancient Athens' most incompetent general. If this was a film, you know, I wouldn't believe it. You know, I would just say, oh, they're being lazy. They are rewriting the same stories they've already told us. And, you know, some say it's made up. The only ancient source that talks about this is Polienos in his stratagems in war work. After Amphisa was taken, he arrests whoever was found guilty by the Amphictyonic Council. Then they are ostracized and the town is officially surrendered to Macedonia. And that's how the Fourth Sacred War ended. Parmenion is then ordered to head towards Nafpaktos, which he took and gave to the Aetolians, as he had promised in 341. There were some raids in the south of Phokida, so Delphi, Kirfi and Adikira, showing everyone that central Greece is at his mercy. He can pretty much plunder any city he feels like right so after athens and thebes find out about their terrible blunder they abandoned their their camp in porapotamius and get together in the plains under the acropolis of heronia philip doesn't attack them straight away we know he took a break for a few days in plutarch's time 
300 years after the battle took place, he tells us there was an oak tree which was named Alexander's oak tree because it was there that Alexander camped. Yes, Alexander was there. He was a he had a leading role in the battle. We're finally talking about Alexander. Well, you know, kind of. Uh, we'll do a bit later, probably in a bit more detail. Also, from Theodoros, we see that Philip sent a messenger to the Voetian League, a man by the name of Pithonas. Theodoros tells us he was notorious for his rhetorical skills. This shows us that he wants to avoid having a battle. Let's sort this out, lads, is probably what he was thinking. Philip the Humanist. Um, he only wants to go to battle if he absolutely has to. What do you think the, the messenger said? You know, Philip has you by the balls, guys. You know that, right? So let's just skip the battle. Uh, the plains of Hieronia are massive. The location cho chosen by Athens and Thebes is three kilometers wide. And in the south and north, there are rivers and many hills. So we see they have picked a location that will stretch the Macedonian phalanx, hopefully to lessen its effectiveness. Usually the phalanx was 10 to 12 men deep, but now it's going to be stretched to do 2 to 3 men deep. Also, the land is swampy, which wouldn't allow Philip to fully develop his cavalry. We see they have picked a sound defensive position. It's one of those names that has struck, that has stayed in my mind, I guess. It's heavy, you know, Hieronia. And it's also possibly the most important battle in ancient Greece. It's what put the final nail in the coffin for classical Greece, or better yet, the concept of city-state. If the alliance of Athens and Thebes wins, this style of government, of government remains in business. They hoped Philip would return to Pella with his tail between his legs. But if Philip won, he would become top dog of Greece. Essentially, he is left without an enemy that can affect him. The two teams have massive differences, the biggest one being experience. The Athenians would have, to f would have to fight for years just to be an inch closer to the Macedonian army. Some Athenians fought in 362 in the Battle of Madinia. We are now in 338, so that's 25 years ago. Some had been sent to Evia in 348, as we mentioned in past episodes, but they didn't go against anything like the Macedonians. Philip has been king since 359 and has been fighting non-stop. They have their own professionally trained army and they have been unbeaten for the most part. The other says there were about 30,000 infantry and 2,000 cavalry. 24 of the 30,000 are Sarissa-bearing proper Macedonians. The other 6,000 are a mix of infantry soldiers that would protect the side of the phalanx that are from Thessalia, uh, Enianes, Volopes, and a few citizens from Theodida. About the opposition's team, we have two sources about their numbers, Theodoros and Justin. Or Eustinus, we say in Greek, we don't say Justin. Theodoros says Philip had more soldiers, while Justin says the Athenians were far superior by quantitative measures. 
NGL Hammond has a nice explanation for this. He says we have to look at which is the source of each uh, each historian is using. Theodoros takes his information from Athelos, an Athenian wanting to make Athens look as good as possible. Athelos was born in 330 and wrote 20 years after the battle took place. He thought the Athenians had better generals, but they simply wore too few of them to save Athens. Justin's source is Theopompos who actually lived while the battle was happening. And he said, okay, the Athenians were brave, but let's be honest, the Macedonians are a different class of soldiers and they were less in numbers. So Justin is more believable. We saw what the Macedonian army looked like, so let's look at the Athenian and Theban army. There were about 35,000 soldiers in total. 30,000 of them wore hoplites, the traditional ancient Greek soldier. And the most experienced and capable soldiers came from Viotia, about 12,000 of them. And of course, the sacred band of Thebes, one of the best trained armies of ancient Greece, elite status. There were 300 in total or 150 pair of lovers. Now, my Greek audience hates it when I say that, that they were a pair of lovers, but, uh, and apparently they send me comments as uh, a lover means something else. Erastis uh, is what we use in the text. It means teacher. It's true that, um, which, I don't know, I don't really know if I believe. I mean, Erastis, today we say Erastis will mean lover. And there's a good chance they meant lover back then too. It's true that Greeks didn't identify as straight or gay, apart from Athens that we have mentioned, Solon's laws. You can be an adult and be gay, you'd lose your political rights and all those silly things. Thebes wasn't like that. They were very open about their homosexuality. There's a good chance that Philip was indeed a lover to an older Theban when he was their hostage. Plutarch, one of the sources, says that he says it in a way as is trying not to um, take too much of the blame for it. He says, it's been said that they're lovers. I've heard that, you know, so he doesn't say it categorically. This is what I think they were lovers. So that's that's left people debating it for years. And uh, Stephen, I remember watching a documentary and Stephen Fry was on explaining um, that, oh yes, the sacred band, there were, you know, soldiers and there were gay lovers and everything. And my dad got so pissed off, he had to turn the telly off. Uh, what the fuck are we listening to? What's this shit? And, you know, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so, you know, it goes way back. But they didn't, uh, and anyway, lover, they, if it helps anyone listening who agrees with, uh, you know, the old school way of thinking, or <laughs> that they, that they want indeed lovers, they weren't really anally fucking each other. They were, they would put, um, oil on their thighs and they would do you know that nice little <laughs> the thigh fucking it was it was uh it wasn't really um something men would do would anally have sex with each other back then unless they wanted to lessen one's reputation so if you wanted someone to feel really bad about themselves you would uh, fuck them in the ass but if they if you cared about them and it's usually the elder gentleman you would thigh fuck them <laughs> if that if that uh, offers any condolences and anyway enough about that let's get back to our story um 10,000 of the um Athenian army wore 
citizens of Athens that they um, they couldn't be over the age of 50. One of those citizens was Demosthenes, and um, some saying uh, there were, could have been a bit less, maybe 6,000, 10,000 were somewhere around there, but you get the picture. 2,000 were mercenaries, one of the few group of soldiers that uh, would have come against the Macedonians in battle. The rest of them, the rest of the army come from various allies. The Athenians have Charitas, Lysicles and Stratocles as generals. Theodoros says something nice. From the Athenians, the best generals had died. Iphicrates, Chavrias and Timotheos. But the best of who is left, Charitas, did not offer much more than the average soldier, either in strength or in good judgment that is needed for a general. That's definitely not the best way to be remembered by, right? A Theban general we know who was there is Theagenes, who was probably responsible of the sacred band, all the Thebans in total, we don't quite know. Um, his name is going to come up again in the future when we talk about the destruction of Thebes, so keep listening. And um, and let's see now how, how each team was lined up. On the left, Keras of the alliance, Keras in Greek means horn, but uh, when we're talking about battle formation, it means sides. So on the left side of Keras, there were the Athenians under Stratocles, somewhere around 5,000 light infantry soldiers. In the center, there were various soldiers from every corner of Greece. Next to them were the Thebans, and all the way to the right was the sacred band. And uh, when it comes to their armor, they look like the typical 4th century BC Greek hoplite. So helmets, shin pads, and a massive 20 kilo or what's it, what is it, 45 pound shield, all made from bronze. And a spear, two to three and a half, uh, two, two to two and a half meters, or roughly seven feet long. On the Macedonians' left side, so opposite the sacred band, was Alexander, who was commanding the cavalry of the Eteri, meaning the elite of the Macedonian army. And let me just remind you here, he's 18 years old. He was covered by Parmenion and Adipatros. On the right, there's Philip with his Ipaspistes, we would say in Greek, his sergeants, basically, and a few selected Sarisa-bearing hoplites. This was directly opposite the Athenians. The Macedonians are lined up in an acute angle. And uh, there's a picture in the description if, uh, if you need any help how this looked. So we'll see Philip be a little ahead of Alexander. Philip must have seen them spread out like an octopus. He knew they wanted to reduce the phalanx effectiveness. Also because of how tight it was, the cavalry didn't have enough room to be used reliably. So the battle would be fought hand to hand. And so the battle began. We believe around the 4th, the 1st or 4th of August in 338, before the battle, Philip had a little chat with his soldiers. He told them when the battle begins, we're going to pretend to back down. So a false retreat. Like when you wrestle with your kid, you know, and you're like, okay, yeah, you got me, you got me, but bitch, if I was to slap you, but no. <laughs> we don't say that to our kids, do we? Uh, so the battle began. The Athenians on the left, Keras, so Stratocles' guys, were starting to really push the Macedonians. According to Polienos, he even told his men, push them back to Macedonia. 
and because of Stratocles' stupidity, a massive gap was formed between the, Ath the Athenians and the Thebans. Some of the Thebans tried to, follow the, tried to follow the Athenians, trying to close the gap so there wouldn't be a gap between them. Only the sacred band stayed in place. They knew that if they followed, if they followed the others, Alexander would get in through the right side and surround them. Philip continued his pseudo-retreat for some say 30 meters, others say 150 meters, others simply say for about half an hour. We know it was until the stream of Lycuresi. Alexander on the left with the companion's cavalry or Eteri in Greek begins his attack in the gap that was formed. Then he soundly turned right and went full on against the sacred band which shouldn't really surprise us. He wants to prove himself in battle. He finally has his chance to show his pops what he's worth, that he's worth inheriting the throne, right? This reminds me a little bit of a story of young Alexander. When news came to, uh, when news came of Philip's victory, everyone was happy and cheerful. Alex was kind of sour, so, uh, and when his friends asked him, you know, what's up, he said, I'm afraid there is nothing going to be left for me to conquer. Well, now is your chance, lad. He reached the sacred band, and after a hard battle, managed to kill every last one. <laughs> and, uh, and then he turned to the other Voetians and fought impeccably again. Philip, in the meantime, stopped pretending to suck at fighting and was starting to push back. And all together now, Sarissas, light infantry, sergeants, companions, all Macedonians and their allies go on the attack. Now they show their proper skills. They push the Athenians all the way to Emos Valley. A thousand Athenians died and two thousand were taken captive. It has been said that the river nearby was painted red by their blood. About the Thebans' losses, Theodorus doesn't give us specific numbers. He simply says, similarly to the Athenians, many Thebans also died and not very few were captured. And those who went against Alexander were the first to start running, but after, they, after them, many followed, including our friend Demosthenes, who had written on his shield Agathitihi, meaning good luck, but luck didn't really work for him this time. Philip skipped chasing them down so he told his men you know basically just let them go right they've proven the point so there's no reason in chasing after them the athenian general lysicles was sentenced to death <laughs> due to the heavy loss he was charged by an athenian orator lycurgos stratocles the other general was probably charged with something too. We have nothing mentioned in our sources, but his name simply vanishes from the uh, history books. Charitas, even though is totally incompetent, incompetent, is given the role of general army administrator. This probably was because of his known hatred for Philip and less due to his strategic skills skills in air quotes of course Demosthenes who showed great courage in my mind for even showing up in battle okay yeah he turned out he turned into a sprinter very quick but he still continued to talk in parliament and controlled it with his way 
Plutarch has a story. His tunic got uh, tangled up in a bush and he thought he was being captured by the enemy. So he drops down to his feet and begs for them to spare his life. And Plutarch is probably basing this in various shit talk that would take place in court, in parliament and in uh, the Ecclesia, as we've talked. They're always, uh, now these aren't always based on facts, it's simply shit talking, right? You want to make the other person look as bad as possible and you want other people to agree with you so you come up with things you know and uh, Plutarch mentions it so I feel I should too too but uh, when you really uh, what I really want you to keep from it is that he had the balls to show up right think of any modern politician today I bet you're going to struggle to find one that would go to war for his country they're usually very easy and uh, very very easily sent other people to war, but of course not themselves. After the battle itself, an interesting occurrence took place. According to the Odoros, Philip got nice and wild. He started drinking and dancing. And then he goes in front of the prisoners and starts taking the piss. And bet you haven't been fucked like that in a while, have you, you bastard? And also, <laughs> from Plutarch, we have a story. He was also singing. He was saying, Dimosthenis, Dimosthenis, Peanies, Tad, Ipen, meaning. So that's what Dimosthenis of Dimosthenis from Peania was saying. An Athenian orator, Dimadis, heard him say this and said, King, luck has been kind on you and gave you the face of Agamemnon. You should be embarrassed to act like Thersitis. Now, Philip, instead of uh, throwing a hiss of it, you know, how they talk to me like that, and uh, he gets emotional by the Mavis' word. It motivates him, it motivates him to set all Athenian prisoners free, including the Mavis. Many modern historians say it probably didn't go down like that. Um, he did indeed uh, leave, uh, let the Athenians uh, go away without asking for ransom or anything. But uh, he was not that silly that he would taunt the Athenian captives, right? It doesn't fit other stories we hear about him. One of them being that he cried when he later saw that the sacred band had been completely destroyed. He respected the Thebans, we sort of believe, you know, all their tactics better, all their stratagems, um, we should probably say. He, we had talked about in the past episode that he took some ideas about how to train his army, you know, what worked, what needed to uh, what needed to change and other things like that. And that's probably the reason he set up the Lion of Coronia. You say in English you say Coronia, it's the Lion of Heronia. Uh, there's a link in the description if you want to see this statue, what it looked like. A statue that was put up to honor those who died in battle. The original one was blown up while my countrymen fought for their independence in 1821. We made a copy and put it in the same location. He even respected the Athenians as we saw, right? He let the prisoners go home. Each city-state was treated differently. We're going to talk about that in more detail later on. One more thing we have of that time is a mass grave that has been found near Heronia. Inside uh, there was uh, 254 skeletons. These probably belonged to the sacred band. How cool, right? If it did, it speaks volume of Philip's character. So even after he defeated them in battle, he showed respect towards his adversaries and allowed them or may even brought to fruition their proper bu burial. 
most Greeks, including uh, ex- most Greeks, excluding the Eugenes, Diogenes, which we're going to talk about in the future, were very hung up in the idea of burying their dead. If you want to know more, read um, Sophocles' Antigone. It was kind of a big thing, right? So back to our Dimavis story. It fits too nicely with the propaganda the Athenians used, right? An Athenian intellectual managed with a single phrase to put some sense into the barbarian conqueror. Justin, on the other hand, has a much more convincing and simple explanation of the events. He simply says that uh, after the battle took place, Philip did not take part in any festivities because he didn't want to be considered a winner. The insult, though, that he used was interesting. Thersitis. Don't be a Thersitis, motherfucker. Why are you being a Thersitis? Who was Thersitis? Thersitis was one of the few baddies in the Iliad. The two main heroes of the Iliad are Achilles and Hector. Now, even though they're in opposing teams, Homer, or Homers, as uh, could have been more of a title than a name, he does not put down Hector just because he fought the Greeks. On the contrary, he lifts him up, probably to make Achilles look like a badass when he later kills him, but still, it's nice that he keeps it classy, right? And he doesn't just say things that would insult the enemy. Thersitis, on the other hand, is an ugly, idiotic, chatterboxy coward. Odysseus, or Odysseus in Greek, actually beat the shit out of him in the uh, in Iliad's Odysseus, not the not the Odyssey's Odysseus. There's a big there's a big difference in those two characters, even though they're the same one. Um, the reason was because he was bad mouthing Agamemnon and wanted to persuade the soldiers to start a mutiny. According to the other epic poems that come up and complete the story of the Trojan War, in Greek we call them the Kiklia Epi, that would strictly translate to circular, circular, yes, circular epics. So what wasn't re- what hasn't been written, or wasn't written by Homer or Hesiod, Thersites is uh, so in these poems Thersites is killed by Achilles. It's a fun little story, <laughs> we should say it. Um, towards the end of the Trojan War, Achilles came against Penthesilia, queen of the Amazons. This lady wanted to help the Trojans. Now, while she was fighting, she was wearing a mask. Achilles actually, eventually, mortally wounds her. So he pulls a mask off her face, and when he saw what a hot piece of art she was, he started crying. Everyone who was around him seeing this is like, you know, so what the fuck is happening to Achilles? He's never acted like this for a woman. His lover Patroclus had already died. They were surprised he had any tears left, probably. So it looked like he fell in love with her as she was dying in his arms. Thersitis didn't do a great job at reading the room. So uh, he thought now is the time to jab his spear in Penthesilia's eye. This, of course, enraged Achilles, who started punching and eventually beat him to death. And because of this mess, because of what a great uh, thing here, what a terrible thing he did, Achilles, to purify himself, then had to visit Lesbos and offer sacrifice to the gods Apollo, Artemis and Leto. Today's studies find Thersites to be a layman's type of person, so he expresses the opinion of the simple soldier. He doesn't fight for the same reason as Achilles. <laughs> Achilles wants his name to live forever. And uh, the one time that Thersites stood up 
for his opinion, he was beaten by Odysseus, who also didn't want to go in the Trojan War. He pretended to be crazy, hoping that they would let him, they would just let him be. But he's probably thinking, Odysseus, is that we're here now? Just get on with it. No one wants to hear your whining. And that's about it for Thersites. And that's about it regarding the amazing Battle of Heronia. As Justin nicely puts it, this specific day signaled to the whole of Greece the end of the glorious sovereignty and the ancient independence. And um, now Athens, Thebes and other Greek cities are going to be part of the Macedonian Empire. Philip, for, 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 Philip was the undisputed ruler of Greek hegemony. The battle was the easy part for Philip. With a few simple and decisive moves, he beat the alliance of Athens and Thebes. Now, the difficult part was having all these people come together under the single rule of Macedonian hegemony.